So let's get our Bibles turned to uh, Daniel chapter 3. You know, one of the hardest things um, to do when you're a pastor, especially when you've been um, doing this for almost 30 years, is to come up with really good titles for your sermons. And I, my staff will tell you, I agonize over that. Sometimes it's like Saturday night and I'm still wrestling with it. Just give me, you know, I'm asking, help me out here. You know, like, it's not a big deal, Brian. We don't even look at them. Well, I, I kind of... I kind of take some pride and come up with some good ones and, and, you know, don't always accomplish that. But, you know, this particular title of this message, I thought, man, this is, this is a good title. And this was on Monday. And then Tuesday afternoon, I started laughing out loud, thinking to myself, what this title of this sermon would look like on one of those, you know, those marquee, you know, signs that you drive down, you know, 92 or Nebo or wherever you're going, and you see those, those signs that you can remove the letters, you know, and they tell you what the pastor's speaking on. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool, like, I started laughing thinking, if we had one of those signs and this was on there, um, wouldn't that just make you want to drive right down the parkway? You know, man, I got to hear what's going on. Bob and burn. Uh, we actually just put that sign up while, while you were in here and uh, changed the whole neighborhood while you were in there too. So, so we're, in a, we're in a series um, called Epic. And we're in the book of Daniel, and, and this is one of those, this morning is one of those epic stories uh, that you learn, in, you learn in Sunday school when you're younger. It's a powerful story. It's, honestly, it's, I, it's one of my favorite stories uh, from, from my childhood. And uh, it really is, you know, it's like you just, you hear the story of these three guys that were in a furnace and, you know, a crazy king and, and you know, you just like, man, you know, and God saves them. And then I just gave away the punchline of the whole sermon, by the way, but... Um, but it's such a great, it's a powerful story. And here's the great thing. It is so applicable to what we face every single day. It's applicable to what our kids and you know, our young adults are facing every single day. And I mentioned a few weeks ago that in this world that we live in, all right, the Bible actually tells us that we are, we are here to, to serve another kingdom. You know, we're part of God's kingdom even while we're here on earth. And the Bible tells us that we are, we're strangers. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're strangers, we're aliens, we're foreigners. Um, and the Bible says that, that we are to, we're to live in the world, but we should not be of the world. We should not be conforming to culture. We should not be getting sucked into what society says is, is right or wrong. We should be, you know, our, our language, our philosophy, our lifestyle should reflect a different identity than the world we live in. And what and who we're loyal to should completely be completely different than the loyalties of those around us. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I mean, our, 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 you know, we face a lot of pressure to conform. Our kids are facing pressure to conform like never before. I was looking at an article a few weeks ago by a, uh, an expert on raising teenagers, a guy named Tim Elmore, who actually is from the Atlanta area and really smart stuff that he says and does a lot of research. And he, he was saying that from research that our teenagers today uh, are facing the same level of anxiety and stress that mental patients from the 1950s faced. And I kept reading and I'm like, well, well, why is that? Well, and he just kept pointing to, to social media. There's a whole another level of anxiety and stress that these kids are under. And, and, and it, it's just constantly pushing them to conform and to, and to, and to be anxious and stressed out over so many different things. And here's a fact. It's not just a tough time to be a teenager, but it's a tough time to be raising a teenager, isn't it? And a preteen. I mean, I think, you know, we're looking at kids at 10, 11. It's a tough time. 
But I think, and I think that, that I think about all that's available to them on the internet and I think about the power of social media and I think about the pressure that is put on them to, to be tolerant or to be accepting of things that really go clearly against God's principle. And our kids are constantly being challenged to bow and to bend to the cultural idols around them. And as adults, we have our own challenges, don't we? We deal with the pressure to have as much stuff as our neighbors or as our relatives. We deal with the pressure to, to give, our, you know, our, give our kids everything that we never had growing up. Or we, de- we deal with the pressure to, to succeed and to be significant. We deal with the pressure to you know, kind of portray a certain image. And it's brutal. And we have our own challenges as adults with the internet and social media. And it's this constant pressure to to bow or to bend to the culture. And yet as Christ followers, we have been called to be different. We have been called not to conform, not to bow, not to bend, but instead to lead and to actually change things around us, to be be a positive presence in a very, very tough, very different world. Well, a few weeks ago, um, we we were introduced to some teenagers who uh, resolved to be different than what was going on around them in society. We, we were introduced to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're four Jewish teenagers who have been taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in the year of 605 BC. And they were chosen to be part of a select group of young men who were going to be brainwashed and then trained to be in King Nebuchadnezzar's royal service. He was training them to be leaders in his kingdom. And if you remember from week one, Nebuchadnezzar had a a four-part strategy to get Daniel and his friends to conform to Babylonian culture. He wanted them to learn the language. He wanted them to get immersed in the philosophy of the Babylonians. He wanted them to give them an appetite for indulgence. And he wanted to change their identity and their loyalty. But Daniel and his friends resolved in their hearts that that they would not defile themselves and they would not conform to the king's plan. They resolved to be different. Well, last week, if you remember, I talked about a dream, a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and how God gave Daniel wisdom to be able to interpret the king's dream. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a story in Daniel that actually doesn't involve Daniel. We don't really know where he was in, in this part of the story. But this story involves three of his friends who we, again, we met in chapter one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's a story of three young men who had to make up their minds that regardless of what the culture around them was doing or how severe the consequences would be not to conform, they were not going to bow to it and they were not going to bend to the pressure to conform. And if it came down to it, they had to make a decision. Are we willing to die rather than dishonor our God? Let's jump in in this story. Let's jump into verse one. King, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 90 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province, a province of, Babel, of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all of the uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, 
bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, what in the world is going on here? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, who is crazy in his own right, comes up with a crazy plan and he basically sends out a command. What was his command? Well, in the Septuagint, which is a Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, it says that Nebuchadnezzar built a statue in the 18th century of his reign. That was 16 years now after chapter two, after Daniel's interpretation of the king's dream, okay? So in all of that time, 16 years, not one of the prophecies that Daniel gave to King Nebuchadnezzar had come true. And if you don't know what those were, go back and listen to last week's sermon because there's a lot of great information, a lot of great uh, prophecies that, that really involve not only history, but they involve what we're currently involved in today. And so here, so for 16 years, none of this stuff that Daniel has said has come true yet. No silver kingdom, no bronze kingdom, no iron and clay kingdom, and certainly no sign of a stone that's gonna come along and crush every kingdom. So with this new sense of invincibility, Nebuchadnezzar basically thumbs his nose at the God of Daniel, and he decides he's gonna build a, a massive idol that really just shows off his power. He creates this figure that is every bit as massive as the one he saw in his dream. It's 90 feet high, it's nine feet wide, and he puts it in a place where everyone can see it. Can't miss this thing, it's gigantic. And this giant idol is covered from head to toe in gold. Now, I'm sure that Nebuchadnezzar, he made sure that there was not a trace of clay anywhere in this whole idol, okay? No kingdom, natural or supernatural, was going to crush this statue or his empire. And so he pulls all of his leaders from all over the place together, and they have a, an official ribbon cutting, and then they reveal, uh, his big plan is revealed. He basically has his press secretary come out and make a big announcement to all of the leaders so that they can have the scoop. And here's what he said. Every time you hear music of any kind, right? You have to fall down and you have to worship the gold statue. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you're doing or who you're with, you have to fall to the ground. Now that had to be a pain, right? You're walking along, having a conversation with someone and you hear the liar, the zither, and boom, you got to go down on the ground. And if you don't, you're in trouble. So every time you hear the music, bow down, worship the statue. Now, I, honest truth, I cannot go through this story without thinking about the VeggieTales version of this story, right? And if you don't know what VeggieTales is, you just go buy this one. It's really funny. Uh, there's a giant bunny in the story, right? And you got Rack Shack and Benny. And last night, as I was kind of going over this again, I, it was driving me crazy because I couldn't get the bunny song out of my head. And I'm not going to sing it for you right now. I did in the first service, but, uh, oh, you want to hear it, right? The bunny, the bunny. Oh, okay, that's enough, all right? <laughs> My son Zach's going, Dad, don't do that. All right? Just flipped his computer lid down. Now, you think, why, why would anyone in their right mind stop whatever they're doing and do this? Well, because the consequences were severe. Whoever doesn't bow down to the huge statue immediately is going to be thrown into the blazing hot furnace. And that was Nebuchadnezzar's command. You either bow to the idol, bend to the pressure, or you burn in the furnace. Now, this was not a tough decision for the people living in Babylon. Very, very worldly culture. 
You know, hmm, do, I, do I bow to the idol or I'd burn in the furnace? This was a, this was a no-brainer. And most people that, that gathered at this meeting, they knew that Nebuchadnezzar was not a stable individual. Matter of fact, next week we're going we're gonna to kind of dig a little deeper into the depths of his insanity. Nebuchadnezzar had a special affinity for eating grass. <laughs> Man, we need to be back next Sunday. I can't wait to hear about this one. So, but this statue is... I mean, solid evidence is this guy had some serious issues. And most scholars believe that the statue was a solid gold statue uh, image of himself. Well, whatever it was, this, this was clearly a rebellious reaction to that dream, which was actually a word from God to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar saying to God, you know what? I'm not just a head of gold like, like the dream portrayed. No, no, no. I'm so powerful that I'm going to make an entire image of myself in gold. Now, do you remember several years ago when, when our troops went into Baghdad? And you can just, if you were watching TV, you remember they pulled down this huge statue of Saddam Hussein. And think about this. Babylon is modern day, or, or it's ancient Iraq. Okay? And you would think that these crazy world dictators, they would learn from history, even their own history, but they don't. But Nebuchadnezzar, he lays out this plan. When you hear the music, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, or who you're with, you have to bow down, you have to bend to the pressure, or you're going to burn in the furnace. And let me say this. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just saying bow to the idol. He was actually commanding that the people worship the idol. This wasn't just a political move on his part. No, no, no. This was, this was a religious statement that he was now making that he was greater then not only Daniel's God, he was actually greater than, than the other Babylonians' gods. Well, story goes on. The music begins to play, okay? The horns start blowing. The flutes start playing. Zithers start zithering. Lyres doing what they do, lying. Harps are playing. Pipes are piping. Everybody's falling down on their knees to worship. And it looks like that Nebuchadnezzar's plan is working like a charm, except there's a slight problem in the kingdom, there are three young men, three young Jewish men who decide that they are not going to bow. They're going to be different. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, how did they respond? Well, first of all, they refused to bow to the king's idol. Everyone's bowing. I mean, come on, it's the in thing to do when the music plays, everybody's hitting the dirt, except these three guys. Now, remember, remember this. These three men actually hold influential positions. They are over the administration of the province of Babylon. But their actions don't play well with some very spiteful, prejudiced Chaldean, Chaldean guys who were actually the king's astrologers and astronomers. Look at verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and they informed and informed on the Jews and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king, you issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the gold statue. But there's some Jewish guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, there's nothing worse than a tattletale, Right? Someone who's going to sell you out. And I love how they begin their little tattle. Long live the king. Nothing worse than someone kissing up as well, right? To, to the king. 
And these men accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They accuse, them of, they accuse these guys of treason. That's a serious deal. And they actually embellish the truth a bit just to get Nebuchadnezzar fired up. And boy, he doesn't let them down. Look at verse 13. The Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And listen to this. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And so here you got Nebuchadnezzar. He, He loses his mind. He lashes out at these three men and he puts incredible pressure on them. Think about this. Here are, these, here are these young Jewish men standing. They're in a foreign country standing in front of the most powerful person in the world. And they're being told, if you don't bow down and worship this golden statue, you're going to die in a blazing furnace. Now that's, that's crazy pressure. That's about a, as tough as a situation to be in as you can imagine. Well, what do they do? Number two. They refuse to bend to the pressure to defy God. Now, why would they do that? Why, why not just bow down? It may be a whole lot easier. Why not just go along with the plan, conform and save, save their own skin? But I want you to think back for a moment to chapter one of the book of Daniel. I made a point that Daniel's resolve to stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar's pressure, where was that birth? Remember, it was birthed in his home. When, when he, was, he was younger, he was raised in a home where his parents laid a solid biblical foundation. I made the case that Daniel knew who he was. He knew why he was here and he knew where his strength came from. And these three men, they obviously had the very same upbringing. And as they're standing there listening to the music and they're watching everyone around them fall to their knees and bow down and worship the statue. Listen, you know they had to be scared to death. This is, real, this is a real story. They had to be shaken in their boots or in their sandals. But at the same time, they had probably had to be thinking about a command that they had learned around a kitchen table from either a mom or dad when they were, when they were little boys. Because these guys knew the Ten Commandments. Those were, those were major lessons in every Jewish home. They knew, they knew what Exodus 20 three through five said, where it said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. I mean, these guys knew that God blesses those that love him and keep his commandments. They didn't have to bend to the pressure to defy their God because they knew that their God was faithful. Not only did they grow up hearing all the stories of God's faithfulness, they, they, they heard how God saved Noah and his family from the flood that wiped out the whole earth. They, 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 they heard the story of how God had delivered Moses and the Israelites from, from a wicked Pharaoh and all of the, the Egyptians by splitting the Red Sea in half. They, they had heard about how God led Joshua to march around the mighty walls of Jericho. And when they, they made it around seven times, the wall fell down. They, they knew the stories they had also experienced God's faithfulness themselves. Because if you remember back in Daniel 1, when when the king Nebuchadnezzar said, here's what you're going to do. You're you're going to conform. You're going to eat the meat, drink the king's wine. I'm going to change everything about you. 
Daniel and these three guys says, we're not going to do it. We're just going to basically eat vegetables and we're going to drink water. And after 10 days, these guys were healthier than everyone else. Now, I want you to think about this. Imagine your kids standing in a situation like this. What, what is going to keep them? What's going to keep them from bending to the pressure to bail on their faith? It, it is going to be their resolve to believe God's word and to rely on his faithfulness. Where does that come from? It has to begin in your home. It begins as, as parents and grandparents. We have to we have to make this our utmost priority to make sure that our children and our grandkids are learning God's word and that they're learning to rely on God's faithfulness. They have to know, they have to hide God's word in their hearts so that they don't sin against God. But they also need to hear stories of his faithfulness and they need to experience it firsthand. They need to experience it themselves. They need to hear stories that you've experienced of how God has been faithful throughout your life, but we have to let them experience that faithfulness themselves. And none of that can happen unless we make that a priority in our homes. And adults, what's gonna keep you? What's gonna keep you from bending? It is your ability to take God at his word and to rely on God's faithfulness. These guys are standing in front of the most powerful king in the world and he gives them a choice. He says, bow to the idol, bend to the pressure or burn in the furnace. Matter of fact, he says to them, if you choose the furnace, (laughs) what God's going to deliver you from my hands? What God is greater than Nebuchadnezzar? He's about to find out. Because these guys willingly, willingly choose to burn. Despite his threats, they don't go back. Look what it says in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty. I I just had to throw that in because that's how I feel like they're talking to him that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Now that's real faith right there. I love what they say. Our God is able to save us. He will rescue us. In other words, this isn't our fight. This battle belongs to our Lord. And even if he chooses not to rescue us, we're still not going to serve your gods and we're still not going to worship your idol. You can force us to learn a new language. You can fill our minds with Babylonian philosophy. You can try to change our thinking. You can even change our names, which you've already done. But we would rather burn than to go against our God. Now, I don't know about you, but I I pray that if I'm ever in a situation like this, I'll have this kind of courage. I pray that if my boys are ever in a situation like this, that they will have this kind of courage. That their children will, will, will resolve to have this kind of faith. Because when you see this, it's, it's inspiring, isn't it? Their response, it sends Nebuchadnezzar into a complete, I mean, he's over the edge now. He's ready just to lose his mind, and he does. He orders the furnace to be made seven times hotter than normal. He commands his strongest soldiers to bind the three Hebrew men and with up, chain them up cast them into the furnace. The Bible tells us that the furnace is so hot that the king's soldiers actually die from the flames. They die from the heat. While Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disappear into the fire, still bound from head to toe. For just a moment now, the king's wild anger is satisfied. 
until verse 24. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? And they said, yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, well, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. I like how the King James says it. The fourth is like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar is blown away. Wait a minute, weren't there three men in the furnace? Why do I see four? Who was the fourth man in the fire? Jesus was in the fire. The son of God had come into the fire with these three men. And Jesus is standing. He's standing in a blazing hot furnace with three now unbound, unharmed Jewish young men. What God can deliver his people out of Nebuchadnezzar's hands? The most high God, the only true God, the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The stone that is one day going to crush every man-made kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar has ever, has ever seen in his dream. That man, that stone is now standing in the furnace delivering these three men from the fire. And that same God has the power to, say, to, to rescue you as well. So lots of lessons we can pull up out of this, this, uh, this story. What can we learn from the furnace? Well, first of all, every time you face the fire successfully, it deepens your resolve. Not one, no, no one in this room, I mean, no one, we, we, no one chooses to walk into a fire situation like this. There's not one of us that, that really enjoys being in a difficult situation, but it's in the fire when you have no one else but Jesus, that your faith becomes stronger, that your resolve is deepened. It's in the fire that your faith begins to really grow. And here's the thing. You will never know the strength of your faith until it's actually been tested by fire. You're never gonna know the strength of your faith until it's actually been put in the fire. But God doesn't just use the fire of trials and challenges to deepen our faith. He actually uses it to purify us. In Malachi chapter three, verse three, the prophet Malachi writes this. He says, he will sit and judge like a refiner of silver, watching closely as the dross is burned away. He will purify the Levites, the priests, refining them like gold or silver so, they, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Malachi, he taught, Malachi talks about how that, that God refines his people like silver, being silver put into the fire. And as the silver is heated up, all of a sudden it's like all of the impurities begin to, to rise to the top and they begin to burn away and begin to disappear. And then he mentions the Levites, the priests, how that, how that they would, God would refine them like gold and silver so that they could be usable in his hands. And God is refining you some, for some of you right now. I mean, you, you, you are, it's like you're in the story. You're in the fire and it's painful. And the impurities are coming to the top and, 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 and they're being burned away. Listen, don't run out of the fire. Don't leave the furnace. God is refining you to make you usable in his hands. I love this quote from, from Warren Wearsby. He says, if you're going to live by faith and expect your faith to be tested, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Second thing. God will give us strength when we choose to walk in faith. Some of you right now, again, you're in the midst of, of making a choice. 
You're standing right on the edge. Do I, do, do I bow to something that would defy God? Do I walk into this sinful situation? Or do I bend to the pressure to go along with what culture is saying is acceptable? Or do I choose to walk in faith and to trust God, even if it means I have to walk into the furnace? I love Isaiah 40, 31, one of my favorite verses. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I think it's one of the greatest pictures of God's faithfulness in the Bible. Those who trust in God, they will find new strength. They will soar like the most powerful bird alive, like an eagle. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and they won't collapse. And again, some of you are standing at the edge of the furnace right now, having to make a decision. Do I bow? Do I bend? Or do I choose the furnace? And I want to encourage you right now to lean into your faith in God and trust him right now. Number three, the fire is going to reveal what's really going on inside of a person. I love this quote from Chick, uh, author Chip Ingram. He says, Christians are like tea bags. You don't really know what they are like until you put them in hot water. Christians are like tea bags. You don't really know what they're like until you put them in hot water. In other words, it's the fire that reveals what's actually inside of us. It's the heat that's going to determine whether or not someone is actually a true, genuine follower of Jesus Christ or not. It's the heat that determines the strength of our faith. It's the heat, it's the fire that determines the strength of our resolve. It's the fire that reveals what someone is really all about. You want to know what's inside of someone? Just, just squeeze them a little bit. Put them in the fire. A moment ago, I, we showed you this video. My friend Tom Thompson from World Health talking about Cuba. I mean, there, I want you to know there are no casual Christians in the nation of Cuba. Every single day, there's a chance that you could be arrested for your faith. The pastors over there that I've gotten to know, they are constantly harassed or put in jail for their faith, just for their calling to be pastors. I, I mean, I have sat in a, in a couple of prayer meetings now with these guys, and I want to tell you something. It's powerful to hear them pray. Just coming to the prayer meeting, they have been a lot of times detained by the police, been stopped by the police. The police show up at their house. I mean, I can't go into more detail, but I'm telling you, when you're with these guys and you're listening to them pray, it is so inspiring, but it's also humbling. Because every day these men face the furnace and they walk strong because they know that Jesus walks with them. They've seen God rescue them from the fire. There's this, there's this invincibility about them, not because, not because of themselves, but because they know that God is able to deliver them. And if he chooses not to deliver them from this moment, they know that he'll be with them whatever they go through. They'll, they'll, he'll be with them in prison. Some of you, you you're scared to death for, for your faith to be challenged. Or you're frightened that you might face some persecution for your decision to follow Jesus. Don't you fear men. Don't you fear men. You don't fear trials. Don't you fear tests. Don't you fear this world or anything that this world may throw at you now or in the future. We don't have to bow. We don't have to bend because ultimately nothing can harm us. We are the children of God. We can live with this sense of humble invincibility because God's in control of whatever happens to us. I love this quote from George Whitfield. He says, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. We don't walk around with our chest puffed out. We walk around in, in just humility with a sense of invincibility 
and immortality, knowing that God's hand is on us. Number four, when we choose not to compromise, God is always glorified. Let me tell you what happens at the end of the story. After the Lord miraculously protects Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar has nothing to do now but praise, praise God. He acknowledges the fact that these men stood up and defied his commands. He actually commends them for it. He acknowledges the fact that they, they chose to die rather than worship and serve another God except their own. And here's what he says in verse 29. He says, therefore, I'm going to make a decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. The mighty king who ordered the world to bow down to him, his image is now bowing down before the king of the world. Listen, when we choose, when we choose to stand for God, when we choose to to not compromise our faith, God is always glorified. And I want you to know something. The world is inspired because they want to know, do you really believe what you've given your life to? Do you really believe it? Even in the face of, of, of the fire, a challenge, do you really believe this? Well, I'm going to give you one more truth before we go home. And this is, you've got to take this with you this week. When you're in the fire, Jesus will be in there with you. You can stand up for what's right. You can choose to be different because you have a God who promises to be in the fire with you. Now, I know that sometimes when you're in the fire, it seems like God is nowhere to be found. I mean, there's times when, when it's, it seems like you're walking around in the furnace all by yourself. And that's when we have to go back to God's promises. That's when we have to go back and rely on God's faithfulness and to know that what he says in his word is true, even if we don't feel it. Because facts don't care about your feelings. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous face many troubles, but the Lord rescues them from each and every one. We have to go back to what God said to Joshua in Joshua 1, 5, which is then repeated again in the book of Hebrews, where God says, Joshua, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Nearly every single day, we go out into this world We go to our workplaces. We send our kids into school, wherever they are. And the culture, the culture, society, the world, whatever you want to call it, is constantly calling us out to conform, to go against God, to go against what we know to be true, to just blend in, to be no different than anyone else, to bow down to the idols. And here's what you, I, I want to ask you. Will you choose to bow? Will you choose to bend? Or will you choose to burn? Will you choose to burn? When we choose to walk into the furnace, Jesus will be in there with us. Even if you can't sense his presence, God promises that he will be right there with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. I want you to bow your head for a moment. Thank you, Father, for your word.
I know there's some folks in here who are really struggling right now. There may be a, a man or woman who are standing right on the edge of making a really, really bad decision. Walking into a sinful situation, may you rescue them right now. May they, Lord, may they walk away from that. Lord, don't let them bend. Don't let them bow. Let them face the fire, Lord. Let them make a right decision, knowing that you'll be with them. There's a student in here today that may be tempted to walk away from you, walk into a sinful situation, conform to the the pressures of the crowd around them. Father, would you help them to stand strong today? Help them today not to bend, not to bow, but if needed, walk into the furnace knowing that you'll be with them. Father, would you give us strength today? Give us strength today to know that you're faithful, that you're good to your word, that Jesus is with us. He never leaves us, never never forsakes us. When we're cultures right in front of us, trying to suck us in, regardless of what that looks like, help us not to bend, help us not to, to bow, to worship the idols of this world. And if you call us to walk into the fire, help us to walk in with courage. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in the living God, Jesus, I wanna just encourage you right now as I pray with you to pray with me. Pray, just say, Lord, at this very moment, Jesus, you are the son of God, the savior of the world, the one who stood in the fire with these three Hebrew young men. And you're the God today that I ask to be my savior. And so, Lord, as you offer me salvation, as you offer me forgiveness, as you offer me a rescue from this life of of not knowing you, a life without you, a life separated from God, I say yes, and I receive salvation into my life. What Jesus did for me on the cross was enough. I can't work to earn forgiveness. I can't work to earn things being made right between me and God, but Jesus did it for me. And so I put all my faith and trust in him alone. And I ask him right now to be my personal savior. If you just did that, we're going to give you some instructions in just a moment on what to do next. Father, for everyone in here today, may we just fall back on your faithfulness. May we just, Lord, walk in your promises today. Lord, as the world revs it up around us, as, 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 as there's more and more pressure to walk away from Christianity, Lord, to, to push against Jesus, to push against God's word. And we have to walk closer and closer to the flames. Lord, help us not to bend. Help us not to bow. But to know that you're with us and you'll be glorified and you'll give us strength. We can walk into that furnace knowing that you'll be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.